the thing is like when you have a goal and when there's something that you really want to do you make the time and energy to do it i'm never one of those people like yeah you can always make an excuse but if something really matters to you you will come home from work even if you're tired and you'll do a little bit that you need to do to get it done that's courtney evers and this is the powerful ladies podcast Hey guys, I'm your host, Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast, where I invite my favorite humans, the awesome, the up to something, and the extraordinary to come and share their story. I hope that you'll be left entertained, inspired, and moved to take action towards living your most powerful life. Courtney is the senior product manager at Adidas, working in footwear, a competitive powerlifter, a nutrition holistic life coach, and has just launched a granola business. She's doing all of this as an American living in Germany, just outside of Nuremberg with her boyfriend and her really cute dog. Hear how she does it all while traveling the world for work and competitions. On this episode, she shares her tips for how there are no limits to what you can do or take on and what it means to be and speak up for female athletes. All that and so much more coming up, but first, do you know the number one thing that you can do to keep this podcast going and to help us get more kudos out in the world and to have more people know about us? Go right now to your favorite place to listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, tune in. I mean, holy smokes, there's a million right now, but I need you to subscribe and I need you to rate us and I need you to leave a comment about how much you love it. Even if you just want to talk about how much you love me or hashtag engineer Jordan, that works too but it'll mean so much to us to share how you feel about it and to love us by subscribing, liking, and rating. Thanks, guys. Hi, thank you for being on the Powerful Ladies podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's start by introducing yourself and telling people all the things that you're up to. My name is Courtney Evers. I, uh, by day, I work as a senior project manager for Adidas, um, helping make shoes better. I used to be a designer for Adidas, or Adidas, depending on your target customer yes. uh, or listener. And then on my side uh, career gigs, I am a competitive powerlifter. So I just recently competed for the German national team. Don't ask me how. Uh, in the 57 kilo weight class. Somehow I'm German now. Um, I live in Germany. Uh, I am a nutrition holistic life coach. And I am starting up my own granola business. And then I also have a puppy. I'm a dog mom. And I live with my boyfriend in outside Nuremberg. And that's how we met. Because we were both in Nuremberg at the same time. Yes. Yes. Team America in Nuremberg. There was there was a few of us there, but yeah. Um, so what I think is so interesting about you is that you took the chance, like I did and a lot of other of us did, of being one of those crazy people that moves abroad for work, not knowing what the hell you're walking into, not speaking the language. And you've been there for how many years now? Eight and a half which I think eight and a half means that you're almost German at this point. And, but yeah, so like I, I'm really impressed with how you've carved out a life of your own making in a foreign country 
while still having a full-time day job and still going back and forth between Germany and the U.S. and the rest of the world. Um, so how did you end up being, let's just start with how did you get to Germany? Well, the long story is I've always wanted to live abroad. That, that was always a goal of mine since college. I studied at uh, London College of Fashion um, as a semester abroad through Syracuse's design program. Um, so that was always a goal of mine. And when I was living at, in New York, I got a job working for Adidas in Portland, Oregon, moved to Portland, was working there for two years, two and a half years. Uh, had no desire to move, move to Germany because I was like, Nuremberg sucks. This is like a little <laughs> town. With not, it's not exciting. It's not like Munich or Berlin. Um, but there was an opportunity. So they were re doing a reorg as they always do at Adidas. Uh, I don't know if it's good to say or not, but they do. And the opportunity came to move to Germany. So I was like, you know what? Instead of getting moved into a position that I know I'm not going to be happy with, mm -hmm. I'm going to go for it and take the job in Germany. So I kind of just said, yeah, move me. Mm -hmm. This is what I want. Basically asked for it. Like, it was like, I want to move to Germany. I know there's a position there. Yep. Transfer me back, transfer me over. And after interviewing, they did. They relocated me to Germany. And, you know, I came with a plan to stay for maybe three years, four years. And eight and a half years later, I'm still here. So you moved to Germany because you didn't want to have to go into a, a role that you didn't want. And you, if you moved to Germany, you got to be a designer still. Yes. So they, they basically, they, the irony is um, they basically were setting up an innovation team. Mm -hmm. But the way it was set up, I use the term innovation team with quotations because um, it wasn't really set up. I couldn't see it set up for success. Like the guys that ended up staying and being in that role or the, within that team we're just working on PowerPoints all the time. And I was like, I don't want that to be my future. Mm -hmm. So I went for a role that was still within design, still doing what I was doing. I was designing, running apparel all the time. And the position was still running apparel, but it was just back in the motherland. Yeah. And, and then one day you just show up, right? They just, time comes and it's move day. And suddenly you're in Nuremberg. Yeah. And you can't read anything. You don't understand anything. And they're like, yeah, just go to work. It's like a regular day. Yeah, I didn't have a, like, I had a car for like the first month, but then I had to try to figure out, okay, how do I get to work? How do I, how does this place work? It's like a massive campus. Um, but it actually wasn't as hard of a transition as I thought it might be. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. So like, luckily, you know, working for an international brand. It wasn't like the first time I'd ever been to Germany. So I'd been there several times for work trips. Mm -hmm. So I kind of already knew people. And then also because it's such a, um, such an international community, everybody is coming from someplace else and they all kind of are in your, your, it's like going to college again. Yeah. It like, it literally was like being back in college. Like you are, you're going out all the time. Like I was going out like Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, Friday nights. Yeah. I was <laughs> partying on the weekends, like not really sleeping a whole lot, but I was making new friends and experiencing new things and trying to get adjusted to this totally new culture of, you know, the land of meat and potatoes and beer. 
And when you're trying to live a healthy lifestyle, it can be challenging at first. Like I remember being really excited when they opened one of the first vegetarian restaurants in Nuremberg. And then because it was, you know, in the U.S., especially in California and on the West Coast, it's so easy to get like a to-go salad. And when there was no place to get a to-go salad, you're like, wait, what? My, what are my eating options? Yeah, I, I was I was slowly transitioning into becoming a vegetarian when I moved over to Germany. So I was doing like a whole meatless Mondays and everything. And I remember just trying to find vegetarian food or vegan food. It was really difficult. Yeah. Uh, you're looking for like the uh, bio organic food shops and trying to discover like, okay, where do I buy food? Like what is the German equivalent to this thing that I get all the time mm-hmm. in America? And it's like trying to adapt to like different foods, different ways to shop, different, different everything. I remember really trying to like, okay. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, and then like trying to read the ingredients on things. You're like, okay. <laughs> like you spend like half an hour just like being a label with Google translate. You're just like, okay. I don't even know if I remember, I don't even remember if I had Google Translate when I first moved to Germany. I remember carrying a little mini dictionary with me mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I, it felt, it was cool though, because the first words I started to learn were food words. But yeah, and the, and the best thing about like eating a whole natural food diet is you can identify foods because cauliflower still looks like cauliflower. Yes. And like zucchini still looks like zucchini. Eggs are eggs. Like, so you're just like, okay, uh, I'll buy this meat that looks like chicken. Like you, you know what everything is because mm-hmm. it's, you know, yeah, there, still the same. And there's a lot less processed things in the grocery store versus American stores. Like I remember having to even make my own hummus because they didn't have pre-made hummus. And I was yeah. like, All no, right. there's lots of hummus now. Oh, good. <laughs> it's it's changed. It's changed a lot. Like I used to make a lot of things. Like I just recently posted on um, Instagram. I was like, if you live in Germany and you want vanilla extract, here's what you do to make it. And then somebody was like, they sell it at Etika now. I was like, oh, <laughs> wah, wah. well, just in case. <laughs> so when, when you were, did you start when you moved to Germany, getting into the powerlifting? Like what was your fitness level like in your your inclusion in athletics prior to moving to Germany? So I played sports since I was a kid. So we had required sports in my school. Mm-hmm. I did everything from field hockey to swimming, diving, crew, lacrosse, softball, gymnastics, you name it, I did it. And then when I lived in New York, I got into capoeira mm-hmm. and like kind of fitness bodybuilding type of things. I was like really big into reading oxygen magazine and I worked with like a personal trainer. Um, but I was like a big capoeira person. And then when I moved to Portland, that's when I got into CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, it was back in 2008. Uh, and my boss had gone to this ranch in Aroma and met this guy who did this thing called CrossFit. Um, one of the design directors, he was friends with Dave Castro, who's like the CrossFit director, our games director. And they're like, we did this thing called CrossFit and you should go check out this CrossFit games. It's amazing. And like, it's, it'd be really good research. Cause at the time, uh, when I first moved to Adidas, I was doing women's training apparel. Mm-hmm. And then we did like a team fitness 
class or something because we were the training team and the training team always has to work out together <laughs> and my boss because <laughs> that's what you do uh adidas and then my boss was like you're really fit you should you should compete in this crossfit games i was like what <laughs> sign up as a competitor i was like is he serious like he can't be serious so I asked my friend, I was like, what should I do? She's like, I don't know, ask him. I'm like, okay, so Lewis, I'm, I'm signing up. Uh, spectator or competitor? He's like, competitor. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I registered. <laughs> I'm like, all right. So I registered as a competitor for this thing called the CrossFit Games in 2008. It was like the second annual CrossFit Games. And I was on the internet and the website, CrossFit.com, looking for like web, uh, gyms and uh, my area, found a CrossFit box, went in, it was like, hi, I'm Courtney, and I'm going to the games. And they just looked at me, I'm like, I, what is CrossFit? <laughs> They're like, all right, well, let's, let's see what you can do. And that's when everything just kind of started. I got really into, really into lifting the things, um, did that for two years, moved to Germany, and then there was no CrossFit, nobody knew what it was. So I started doing my own version of CrossFit. Mm -hmm. Like I would like with my friends, um, I remember I'd take my friends, Nina and Carly and some other people I think you probably know. Yeah. And I was like, let's go on the track and do some workouts. And I'd made burpees and sprints and jumps and squats and all sorts of stuff. And before I knew it, I had like five designers training with me like at lunchtime and then they told their friends in marketing or development and they were joining. And then I had like an email list and then I had 20 people. And then I had 60 people that were like joining me every like three days a week at lunchtime mm -hmm. on the track. And I became CrossFit Courtney <laughs> at, at the last campus. Like I literally would be in meetings and people were like, Oh, you're, you're Courtney. I'm like, yeah, the American Courtney. Are you CrossFit Courtney? <laughs> yes. Yes. That is me. Um, so I had this huge identity around CrossFit, uh, for the last probably 10 years. Mm -hmm. I, I did, I had a friend, she got me in triathlon. So for a little bit after moving to Germany, I did triathlons. I was cycling, I was running, swimming, swimming was the only part of the triathlon I was good at because I would get out of the water and I'd be all ahead of everybody. I'm like, yeah. And then everybody would just start passing me on the bike. So I was like, yeah. And then I'd be in the run and I'm like, at least I'm a good swimmer. <laughs> yeah. Recently, I got into powerlifting um, over the last two years or the last year, I'd probably say. Because mm -hmm. after so many years of CrossFit, I had a shoulder injury that just um, was like just nagging. It was recurring every, every three months. So I would just need to take a break. Yeah. And so finally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop doing all the things that are messing up my shoulder. Mm-hmm and not do them anymore. So I had to stop CrossFit and I was like, you know what, this is also not going to help me because it's always like snatches or burpees or mm -hmm. kipping pull-ups. And as much as I you know, love all the things that CrossFit brought to my life, I also realized that, you know, the injuries and things were not helping me yeah. in that situation. And last Easter, my boyfriend and I were um, in Austria and I was like, I really want to, I want to compete in something. I really want to have something I can work towards, mm -hmm. but I want to be good at it. And he's like, well, you'd be really good at powerlifting. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, you're slow. So, Cause I've done <laughs> Olympic weightlifting. 
Uh-huh. I was like, thanks. He's like, you got the good levers for it. I'm small. Mm-hmm. So I've got little arms or not little. Apparently I've got monkey arms. He told me today. He's like, you've got really long arms and that's why your bench is weak. Um, but I've got little legs. So he's a positive kind of enforcement. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I get a text. I figured out why your bench is weak. You've got monkey arms. Thanks, sweetie. Is that sexy um, or is this? Yeah. <laughs> am I turning you on? Uh, but I think it's important to no, speak to um, your size because how tall are you? Five foot two. Five foot two. Right. So you're five foot two. So you're in the petite class of women and you are yes. a elite athlete. And so, sure. well, but really like um, you can't be not an elite athlete and teaching 60 people how to do CrossFit and competing and recently trying out for the German national team. So, um, but I think it's important for people to know that size has nothing to do with your performance abilities. And it's really about finding the sport that you love and that you get excited about because that's what's going to keep you going. On um, There was National Women in Sports Day and I posted this picture I found of it's all it's one class of female olympic athletes from the u.s and they're all in bathing Mm -hmm. suits and you see the diversity of sizes and shapes yeah it is wild from women who are like six foot something to women who are 511 to like it's crazy the difference that of and all of these women are are olympic athletes well the crazy thing is with yeah with powerlifting it's funny because this is the one place where actually most of the women, at least in the, in my weight class, they're mm-hmm. like literally all the same height and similar build as me. Yeah. And I'm like, why didn't I get into this sooner? Because like I made for this, like it, I did, tr- I tried Olympic weightlifting, which is the clean and jerk and the snatch. And I, I got, mm-hmm. I was doing that through CrossFit again, not so great for the shoulder but you need to be really explosive and really fast. Mm-hmm. And in powerlifting, you just need to move the weight, like either down and up or you know, push it down or you pull it up, uh, but you don't need to be fast. Mm-hmm. You just need, you just need to be able to move the weight. So like, that's what I mean. Like when my boyfriend's like, you're slow, he's like, you're like a tractor. Cause I'll go down on a squat. And then when I go to stand up, it's like, like eventually it comes up. Yeah. But I'm not explosive or fast, but yeah, but I, my my size and my stature does really help because for me, being five foot two to deadlift like 130 kilos, I have a lot less distance to go right. than somebody who's say five ten. Yep. And trying to lift the same weight, they have just longer to go. Yep. And that's that's where the arms come in handy because I got longer arms. So. <laughs> <laughs> so when I probably make myself feel almost crazy. Not at all. Not at all. And we'll have pictures of you. So people will know what you actually look like. Like, um, But you, so you're in Austria on holiday. He says you should be a power lifter. Did you come back that next Monday and you're like power lifting Google and like found one in Nuremberg or what happened next? So we, he he Googled and looked at, we were looking at the, um, the totals. Yep from the girls in Germany. And it's like, okay, what, what, what are their lifts? What are they doing? And could I actually compete? And he's like, based off of what you can lift today versus like what the girls have from last year's competition, you could do pretty well. I was like, well, shit, let's do it. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I 
I'm going to get say, into powerlifting. I love that he um, took such a German approach to the decision-making of like pulling out a spreadsheet and comparing numbers and being like, this is a very logical approach. It's approved. <laughs> yeah. He's very, well, he's very German. So yeah, it's adorable. Um, so yeah, so we started, I was like, let's, let's do it. And so we found a competition, um, found a club that I could join. So I, you have to, in order to compete, you need to belong to a club in Germany. Mm-hmm. And the closest one is in Bayreuth. So that's like um, in location wise for those people who don't live in Germany or anywhere or never heard of Nuremberg, it's about an hour drive away. Mm-hmm. So all you need to do is just like pay a membership fee, but I don't even train with them. I've never trained with them. I've only seen them at competitions. Yeah. And yeah, I signed up for my first powerlifting meet last May and I've been hooked ever since. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. How cool. And it, it's, um, you know, I think about the the buckets of German words I never learned, like medical terms. No, I could not talk to a doctor unless I just have, like, it's broken. All I can say is it's broken. <laughs> like, das ist kaputt. Mm. And then you, they have to figure out the rest with, like, pictures and visuals. Um, so I don't know any, any German in medical terms. I don't know any German in, like, IT or computers. Um, food, obviously, we talked about already. But I think about mm-hmm. every time you take on a new sport in Germany, you have to learn the whole vocabulary behind it. So it's not just that you have to now learn how to be a power lifter. You have to learn how to speak power lifting in another language. So oh, the, yeah. like, what is that like? It's really weird. So like they they give you cues, right? So when you go into squat, like first they call your name and they tell you when you can go. Yeah. And I'm always just looking at somebody like, okay, can I go now? Can I go now? <laughs> and they never say my name, right? They're like, Courtney Evers. And I was like, oh, Courtney. Like, who's Courtney? It's oh, Courtney. So, and then I walk up and, you know, when you do your squat, you have to, you unrack the bar and you have to show control of the bar on your back before you can squat. Mm-hmm. And they say, Boygen. So in German, a squat is Kniebeugen. So you're bending your knees mm-hmm. because it's a very logical way to explain something. Yes. And same thing for, and then like, so like when you're allowed to step it back, it's like up even or something. I'm yep. probably saying that wrong, but they like have to call you back. So you, 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 you you stand up and they go, okay, obligen, good. And then you just wait. And then they, you know, if it's a good lift or whatever, like that's is good. Or whatever. So you have to like kind of look for the score or look for lights. I always look at my boyfriend. I'm like, was it okay? And he's like, yes. I'm like, okay. And then I walk off. And then with the bench, like the same thing, you have to, um, they they tell you when to lift. Um, And bench is bank. So you just go. And then they tell you to lift it. I don't even know what they say. Like I'm always in the moment, but you, you, you're not allowed to push off your chest until they tell you to. So you have to hold control, Mm -hmm. show control. And then when you're done, you have to hold it above your head and then re-rack it. And then deadlift's the easiest because they just raise their hand and then they lower their hand when you're allowed to put the bar back down. That is easy. But still, I'm always like, am I allowed to go? And they're like, you can go. It's like somebody's <laughs> always in the background. Like, lift. <laughs> but 
what I want people to get out of this part of the podcast is that it it doesn't matter what you think you need to know to do something. Like you don't need to know how to speak the language to do anything, anything. No. Like I, speaking of hospitals, like when I first moved to Germany, I got bitten by a dog. Like I was running in the pignets and this dog bit me. And the pignets is a, yeah, it's a beautiful park that runs through Nuremberg. That's a stream and running paths. And yeah, it's a nice place to hang out. So you're running through this beautiful, safe park. Yeah, and I get bitten by a ghost dog, and like I didn't, you 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 find yourself in like a situation. You're just like, what the hell just happened to me? Your dog just bit me. These people are not reacting. You don't know how to be like, give me your insurance information and all this stuff because you don't have that vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Like insurance is versicherung, and yes. then it's like, hast du eine Hundeversicherung or a Hauptpflichtversicherung or another kind of versicherung? And you're like. You know, oh, yeah. I've been here eight and a half years, so I can say all the versicherungs now. Right. But, you know, six months after living in Nuremberg, no. Yeah. And I get myself to the emergency room. And I was like, um, I didn't know the word for bite. So I couldn't say I got bitten by the dog. I was like, ein Hund had mir for Essen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because that means that the dog <laughs> ate me. Like he had me for food. <laughs> <laughs> and I just lifted up my shirt and pointed at my stomach because it didn't get in the stomach. And they were just like, okay. <laughs> oh, that's so good. No, I, I had my last year in Germany, I was there four years. I had to have surgery on my sinuses. And I didn't think about it because I spoke enough you know, broken German that it was fine. Like I, I did enough to get through and the most doctors speak English and it was okay until I realized that the like a supportive staff didn't speak English. And uh, yeah. so I, they, the day before the surgery, I had to have a, a prep talk with them because I was going to have to answer questions in German while I was going under sedation and while I was coming out, like when you are least coherent. And (laughs) I was like, wait, what? They're like, if you don't say these things, like we're going to have to do X, Y, and Z, which is like emergency version. And I'm like, sorry, what? So the night before going into surgery, I'm like quizzing myself on these words that I don't even remember if I knew what they meant. I just know like, say this one and say this one. And just so I could get through that part, it all worked out fine. But I remember being nervous, like, if I don't answer this correctly, they're either going to, like, put me into a coma or they're going to cut off my other arm or, like, something's going to happen. And it was wild. And, like, all things, like, it works. It worked out. It was no big deal. Um, but then there's, like, a few other moments when I'd be with, like, a random nurse that would come in or staff who were checking on me and how's everything going and just them not either being comfortable speaking English or just not knowing any and mm-hmm. being like, well, I don't know what she just wrote on that chart, but uh, you know, if I just stay here, I'm sure somebody else will come in if there's a question. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a wild experience to go through that. And I know that there are people who have been at Puma or Adi who have gotten into like accidents in um, like mm. Vietnam and China or had like had to have an emergency appendix surgery in China when they've been there on a on a factory trip. And in my head, I'm like, oh God, like 
you would, no. I, I would be more nervous about that than anything else because you just don't know what it's like there. Not that, not that it, everyone came out fine. Everything worked out, right? Like doctors are usually doctors everywhere and it's no big deal, but you yeah. get so nervous because you don't know what it's like there. And you don't know if it's going to be at the same expectations that you would have in what you're comfortable mm-hmm. with. I knew a girl, she, she, I think they came, she down like when Scarlet Fever broke out in, in Germany, like a couple years ago, mm-hmm. she was on a trip to China. Some of the team managed to get out but she was starting to get sick and they were trying to get her into Hong Kong and she got stopped at the border in Hong Kong. They're like, Oh no. Yeah. Back into mainland China. And so she was in like mainland China hospital, like not even like big city, like I, like, I don't know if it was Dongguan or what, but right. for two weeks had no idea what they were putting into her, like what they were giving her, like nobody could speak any English. And she was like, I have to take this medicine. I have to just trust them, them stick me. Like, yeah. You have to trust. Yeah. It's so wild. So wild. Yeah. And and for people who haven't been to Hong Kong, when you are going through the customs process, they it's not just, I need your passport. They're taking your temperature. Like if you mm. are running a temperature, you are not allowed in to Hong Kong. I they think will, I once had somebody like come and stick something in my ear once. I was like, what? Oh, okay. Yeah. You probably had a little temperature like, well, let's check. Phase two. Yeah. They, I, you look sweaty and weird. I'm like, I just came off a plane. I don't know. Yeah. And I was traveling for 12 hours. Let me go. No, it's always yeah. e- the few times I've had to travel where I haven't, I've been like coming off of an illness where like I'm, I'm no longer con- contagious. I'm fine to go. But I don't feel awesome. And I've had to mm-hmm. go to on Asia trips. I'm always like, please let me get through customs. Yeah. I got sick in China once. I got food poisoning. I went to Starbucks in Indonesia, and then by the time I landed in China, everything went wrong. And I went to see like the doctor in the hotel. They had yeah. like a, he was like poking me in the stomach. He gave me probiotics. He's like, no greasy food, no McDonald's, <laughs> no Burger King. I was like, I know I'm American, but I don't eat those things. But thank you. Yeah. He's like, eat vegetables. I'm like, I ate vegetables and I got sick. <laughs> That's how we got here. Yeah, and I got like all the probiotics and like a little Burberry tote bag. I was like, this is really weird. That's hilarious. It was it was kind of hilarious. So when you look at your athletic career and how mm-hmm. it's been running parallel to your career in sports through through Audi, like how how much has sports been an influence in you finding your confidence and you feeling powerful as a woman? And how much um has it been impacted by the fact that you work in athletics as well? I, I got everything up until the impact and then. Oh, well, how much has, out. how much has being in sports your whole life impacted you knowing how you feel confident and how you perceive yourself as a powerful lady? I think being in sports has everything to do with the fact that I'm confident and driven and like everything that I've gotten after, like I I've done sports and team sports since being such a small girl, mm-hmm. and like I always had a drive to like do really well, and like I was always super competitive, and there was nothing that or nobody could tell me that I couldn't do anything, mm-hmm. right? Like I remember when I told my mom that I wanted to go into fashion, she was like, "It's really competitive," and I was like, "I'm an athlete." 
I'm okay with competition. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm going into fashion. And like, it, it was always been like this part of me, like I, it, I was able to really manage my time well, because I had to play sports after school. Mm-hmm. So it, there was always all these things I learned about teamwork, and you learn about how to play up your strengths. And you know, you learn about discipline, and, you know, you become more self aware, like things that you're good at self aware of things that you're not so good at. And you kind of get this confidence that you probably might not get otherwise, mm-hmm. like just from being a sports. And so I, that's why I think sports has had a lot to do with how it shaped my life. I never thought to get into athletic apparel. Yeah. Because I always wanted to work in like high-end fashion. Like I did an internship with Michael Kors when I was in college. And like I really was like all about, you know, fashion, fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I had a, a colleague at one of, one of my job, my old jobs, he went to Fila and he was like, we have a job for a designer. You should apply for it. And I did this application and you have to do, when you apply for usually a fashion job, you have to do a um, project and design mm-hmm. within that project. And it was like a training outfit or for like, I think it was like for one for men or like a training outfit for women. I don't remember what it was exactly. I just remember like I started designing and I was like, oh my God. And I had all these ideas and I was like, it could be like this and this and this. And I did like 10 collections and it came so naturally and so easily mm-hmm. because I was like, and I was like, this is what I should have been doing from the beginning <laughs> is I should have been, I should have been working in like the sports industry. And ever since then, like anytime I would work on something, I would always think about like, you know, what would the, what would the person who's wearing this need? Like, mm-hmm. Like I had a gap of sports, obviously like team sports in high school. I did um, a year of sports in college uh, for crew. I was a coxswain. Mm-hmm. And then after college, there was like a couple years where all I did was like tie bow videos in my bedroom, yeah. uh, but nothing really serious. And I was designing training apparel and I was like, I should be going to the gym if I'm working on this project, I should be in the gym. If I'm designing clothes for somebody who's in the gym, I should be going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Just so I know, okay, what do, what do you need when you go to the gym? What are the things you're looking for? Like, what do you what do you want to see when you're in the mirror? Like, if you're sweating, like, you know, do you want to seem here? Yeah. When I designed training apparel, I did that. When I designed running apparel, I was like, I should start running. Like, you know, like, what what do runners need? What what is a, What's important for a runner? What, a, what about pockets? Like, oh. I've got a lot of crap in my pockets and this pocket position is horrible. Or yeah. like everything inside of it, it's like all wet. Like what can I do to help solve that problem? And I always kind of looked at everything of um, from the eyes of, you know, what am I trying to solve? Mm-hmm. And I always just kind of threw myself into every sport. Like, like Adi, I did running apparel. I was on the team for, it's called Harpy Sports, which basically is like all the little sub smaller sports. Mm-hmm. So you've got field hockey, I did field hockey apparel, I did volleyball, I did table tennis and badminton. And I have to be honest here, I did not get so far into the head of a table tennis player. No, shocking. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, can't they just wear a normal polo? Um <laughs> But you you still think about like okay the movements like okay what would a, a table tennis t shirt how would that be different than a badminton t shirt, um, and then yeah with with training I did men's training as well so like I you know it was again like what are the some of the pain points for guys as well with when it comes to training and mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's helped me shape 
how I, how I go about my job. What I loved working in the sportswear industry is that there is such a amazing blend of science and um, creative always being combined between, you know, science and design, science and design. And, you know, you get to be inspired by whatever you want and then bring that inspiration to the actual athlete needs. And when they meet in the middle and you create this thing, you're like, holy shit, like this is better than the last one. And it's really Mm -hmm. cool to see that progression, especially, you know, working in footwear for so long, like so often the shoe is a tool that you use to perform. Like if, if, um, you know, I played field hockey most of my life and the equipment I needed were cleats, shin guards, a mouth guard, and a stick. I was before they had any head protection, which is how I broke my nose. But um, so I, I was a little bit before the curve, unfortunately. But like those are the things I needed I to play. I not have head protection. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know why it took so long to realize that giving young girls weapons and without a helmet, like yeah, I, they really – Or lacrosse. Right. They really just misjudged how dainty we are. For a very long time. Like it was. Or not dainty. Not at all. I've leveled people on the hockey field. Seriously. <laughs> like I remember we, I went to college in Worcester, which in our, where our college was, was in the most ghetto part. And I remember walking home from the field to our apartment and this kid was like seven or eight on his bike rolling by. And he's like, damn girl, no one's going to mess with you with that stick. And I'm like, that's right. Mm-hmm. And like he was seven, he got it, and yet we did had people who were in charge of the sport that weren't getting it. Um, mm. Plus, we were—I just remember being vicious about even like doing a ponytail and braiding it, so that was if somebody was on your back too much, you could like whip them with it. Just being like—I mean, it was effective, not nice, but effective. Um, Different generation, I think. Maybe, yeah. Um, so where was it going? Oh, but but how footwear is part of your equipment. And so, mm-hmm. so is your, what you put on your body, depending on what sport, like if you're a swimmer, that swimsuit is a technical piece of equipment. It's not about covering you up so that you're wearing clothes. It like, it has to be something that modifies your body so that it can be better than it would have been without it. And it's such a crazy thing to think about. Like we're talking about, you know, AI now and like how we're changing the brains and capabilities of humans, but we've been doing this for a long time in regards to modifying what we put on our body in order to d- be better at something than we would have been on our own. And nobody, mm-hmm. we didn't talk about that a lot. Like all the science that goes into, I think it's easy for people to see the science that goes into a golf club. Cause like that's a much more talked about in a, in a mathematical way or like a baseball bat. But that same yeah. science is getting applied to everything that that athlete is using. And yeah. Like you just think about how like designing a bra, like for instance, like a sports bra, uh, you think about like movement of the breasts and how they move when you're running or different activities. Yeah. And it's like, okay, how do you stabilize? How do you lock down? How do you, yep. you know, not flatten out and make a uniboo, but also maintain like a feminine shape. Yeah, but make sure it's comfortable and the straps aren't digging in, and you're not you cutting know, off then blood. What about like, <laughs> yeah, and then like cups, cup sizes, different like athletes, and you got to think about like you know back to your picture of all the Olympic Olympic athletes. Oh yeah, 
you know, every, everybody is different. Mm -hmm. And so then how do you create a product that can suit all body types, but also give the same level of support and, you know, comfort and, and, you know, I am still looking for that infamous bra, but that's like good. Cause like I've gotten some that are, and even just thinking about like the amount of back muscle somebody has is going to change so much Mm -hmm. of like how that fits. Um, I have a couple that are like, that are for running specifically that are pretty good for like stability, but they are really wide in the shoulder. So they end up like digging into my armpit. Like they're too, mm-hmm. they're too wide. And I'm like, who, okay. who, who did they design this for? Like, yeah, it blows my mind. Well, it just wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and a lot of times, like a lot of times what happens is every company has their own like kind of avatar that they yes. like Alvin on like general universal sizing charts. Right. Yep. So like to get things in like a, like a, a cup size for a bra, for instance, especially for a sports bra is so much more complicated in terms of like a distribution breakdown. Um, yeah. Cause there isn't small, medium, I mean, large. That's not how easy it is. No, no. And then you'd have to like invest in like different cup molds and you'd have to have like, like just from like a skew count and colorway and the complexity to be able to do like what Victoria's secret does is a lot of times, a lot of companies just don't want to invest in that. And then you have to consider, okay, who's the fit model that we're trying things on. So a lot of times, even though they try not to, you end up fitting to this one person who may or may not be even athletic. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't really fit the general population in the end. Like I know I've complained about things that our team has done and I'm like, I can't pull up my sleeves, which I always hate when I have a jacket and I can't pull my sleeves up. Uh, yep. Same rolled up sleeves right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but you're different. I'm like, excuse me. They're like, well, you're <laughs> like really muscly. I'm like, I'm not a medical anomaly. I'm no. an athlete. <laughs> and like, who do you think we're designing for athletes? No. And it's, it, and you are not like people think powerlifting and they think Arnold Schwarzenegger. When you, when you meet someone, you just see fit woman. You don't think that mm. you don't look like the Hulk. You don't look like, no, like you are just a very normal looking fit person. You are not an anomaly in that sense, right? You are an anomaly in how powerful you are in your size, but you don't walk down the street and like you can't put your arms down. Like that's not <laughs> what you look like. So no, like you are a, yeah. uh, in all the best ways, a normal looking woman. So thank you. Mm-hmm. I think that's also like culturally where you run into differences. Cause I think like an athletic figure in the U S is much more commonplace. Yes. Where like when I first moved to Germany, people would be like, Whoa, like that. Yes. Like I had people take my, my class, my CXT class. And like, they'd be like, you're scary. I'm like what? They're like, you're scary. Like, I'm like, I'm not scary. Like they saw me outside of the gym in like normal clothes. They're like, here, you look all normal, but normally there, you're really scary. I'm like, <laughs> I, I think, I think you're confusing my motivational tactics, which aren't like military or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, with, I don't know what, but it just like perceptions are different. I was really surprised by um, the difference in sports women played 
when I moved to Germany. Because mm. I also grew up playing everything. Like, I was never told I yeah. couldn't play something. So, like you, grew up playing baseball, then softball, and basketball since I was, like, six. And there was cheerleading and field hockey and swimming. Like, we just did all of it because sports were fun. And, like, sports were things I could do instead of doing homework and how I made friends. And not that I didn't, I was a nerd, so I also liked the homework part. But, like, what else was I going to do? Like, stay home and be bored? Like, no, like, get me into another sport so I can, like, keep doing something. And then when I moved to Germany and I was like, who wants to go running? It was me and a bunch of guys at first. And then, like, what were women doing in the gym? And, like, if I was lifting in the gym, it'd be, like, me and guys lifting in, like, women on the treadmills. And I'm like, wait a second. This is weird. And so I started asking women, like, what sports did you play growing up? And usually it would be, like, dancing and Mm -hmm. um, something else that would have been, like, a response from a woman from the 1950s of, like, what sports were for women. Oh, I'm like, Jordan's like waving her arm. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, tennis. Is it um, tennis? <laughs> there's some tennis. Uh, but no, it was like it was like maybe some gymnastics or ballet, but like things that, that mm. still produced a very typical female um, shape, right? Like elongated yep. and slim. And mm. it was, it took a while to find women who didn't grow up doing sports like that, like that played other sports. And Germany has a pretty... Um, successful field hockey team like the Netherlands always has like one of the number one field hockey teams in the world Um, but they did have a long time and I think a lot of European countries had a lot of bias longer than the U.S. did um, about women playing some of these sports like you can see the difference in U.S. soccer women's soccer versus the rest of the world Um, yeah and how it's been kind of all the classic things that were happening in the U.S. decades ago about, like, women in sports, I think lasted longer from my observation in Europe than it did in the U.S. for, like, what type of women played sports and why you shouldn't. Yeah. Well, I think, like, there's, like, especially, like, an attitude towards women and sports and how women are in sports. Because, like, throughout, like, my European career, um, like, I would be in meetings with guys and they would be taught, I would be the only female in the room and we're talking about female athletes in America uh, and how to be, you know, aspirational to them, like in like volleyball, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there's like a picture of like an athlete in a bikini and they're like, oh, she's aspirational. And here's another girl. She's Brazilian <laughs> and this is her in her bikini. And she's also aspirational. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, okay, as the only female in the room, only American in the room, only former high school athlete in the room. Yeah. You guys should probably listen to what I have to say. And then like, you know, girls don't look for hot bikini clad athletes who are kind of bubbly as a role model. No. Girls want to look towards strong, you know, strong minded, strong athletes with like a purpose and Mm -hmm. confident. Thank you. And like something to say as like a role model. Yeah. Like, like if it helps, if she's pretty, yeah, maybe a little bit, but it's not the reason why young girls follow older girls who are athletes. Mm-mm. They file the girls that are like kicking the ball the best or yeah. doing the best in their sport or have the most confidence. And the same as that boys. was the one thing that always <laughs> exactly. And that was the one thing that always kind of pissed me off about like brand positioning 
uh, especially towards women, because it was always like, it was always kind of fluffy and light and like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we're girls and we do sports. Ah. And I'm like, I've never had that attitude when it came to doing sports. Like, no, I was always like, you need to have like a different tone of voice. You have to have a different tonality and mm-hmm. how we speak to women as a brand. And it's like, thank God, but I'm like also a little late. Yeah. Have you seen the um, Serena Williams Nike video that came out or commercial? Yeah. yeah. Like mm-hmm. I watched it and I'm like, is it weird to be crying and watching a commercial? Like it's not a Hallmark commercial. Those are approved. This is a sports <laughs> commercial. And I'm like, oh, oh, like having these mm-hmm. like moments. And it was so funny because uh, with all the stuff with women's soccer and how they're suing the U.S. men, women's is suing the U.S. Soccer Association or whatever they're called because mm-hmm. men have been getting paid more. Yep. They were talking about Brandy Chastain in 1999 when they won the World Cup. And like I saw that live. And to this day, if you talk about that moment, I still get the same feeling of like, like the surge of adrenaline and that like anything is possible. And I didn't even, I'm not even a soccer fan at that time. Like I am now, but I wasn't back then. It was just... I was home during the summer and I was watching it. And I remember that moment was so visceral and like how it happened and like she's ripping her shirt off and not to be sexy just because you are like freaking out. You're like, I need something to hold on to. <laughs> like, yeah. And so I still remember it so strongly. And, you know, I was at uh, Reebok before I moved to Germany doing apparel. And it's when they launched their Run Easy campaign which came from a really good place of wanting running to be inclusive and how running doesn't need to be, you know, the Nike Under Armour, like run or die mentality, right? Like, because it's so funny. I don't even know if people outside of our industry notice how, like the variations of the story that we're telling about sports, the same way that we do sometimes being inside of it. But there are brands that are seen as like, sport or die warrior level and then there's like mm-hmm. everyone's inclusive level right and i think Adi's actually done a really good job of balancing between the lifestyle and the sport right and like they're, they've always done a good yeah. job of blending the like party atmosphere of like inclusive and fun and we're a team um but I, I remember they launched this campaign of run easy and i was like you know i really love that you're telling everyone that anyone can be a runner but like who wants to run easy like, even if you are just starting out, like, why, you don't take on challenges to be easy. Like, mm-hmm. like you want to get something out of it. Like, even if you've never run before, you want to run to the point where you're like, holy shit, I'm better than yesterday. Yep. And I was like, I'm like, I have a big problem with this. Does no one else see this? And they had some great messaging, like run at the speed of chat, which I thought was a great message because it tells you that you don't need to run to be like to the point of being out of breath all the time. Like it should be fun. Like part of the reason I ran so much is because I was running and talking to my friends while we were running. And now that we never pushed each other, but that's kind of, it was not just working out, it was catching up. And um, I remember that campaign going out and being like, oh, I don't, I think we're missing it. Like it's so close and we're missing it, but like one degree to really make this impactful. Um, and I get, I bet in today no one else would know what I'm talking about. Cause I don't think it made much of an impact, unfortunately, but um, it's crazy how we think that the access to people wanting to participate more in something is to make it simple. And mm. 
I don't think that's really what drives human nature to do much of anything. So we shall see. But so since you've been um, this on this athlete journey throughout your life, you've, it's also been a journey that has been parallel to you with food and what you put in your body. What has that journey yeah. been like? And what have you, where are you at now? So I started, oh, that journey started up when I was in my 20s, so long ago. Um, <laughs> basically, when I started doing, like getting back into working out and training and everything, I was also on a heavy drinking with your colleagues um, circle as well. Yeah. So I would like go to the gym. I would like had like my membership at Equinox and then I would go out for like happy hour and one day something clicked in my head. I was like, I am poisoning my body. I'm trying to do all these things to get in shape and eat well. I'm poisoning my body with alcohol and whatever happy hour food would come with the yeah. Friday night happy hour, you know, happenings around New York City. And I read Fast Food Nation. Yep. And that book changed everything because I was like, holy shit. Like this is what goes into food and this is how like food is made and the process of food industry and mm-hmm. like where animals are coming from and like packaging and the chemicals. And I was like, whoa, it was like, it was just so much that I started to like slowly figure out, okay, what is it that I want to start eating? I joined a co-op, like mm-hmm. I started getting into more like organic food and trying to understand what that was and eating more whole foods and cooking more foods for myself. Like instead of just like grabbing a bagel and you know, whatever to go in the morning, I was preparing my breakfast or taking it with me and I was packing my lunch instead of buying my lunch. And like slowly over the years, like I started becoming more and more aware of what it was that I was putting into my body. Um, I moved to Portland. Like, of course, Portland has like a great food culture. I think I gained, like I gained 10 pounds after I moved to Portland because I was like, this place is wonderful because there's so much good food. Mm -hmm. Like everywhere you went, it was so delicious. And it was, you know, you could find organic and you could find like vegan, you can find all these different things. And like, I I was just enjoying it all. And then again, I got into, that's when I got into CrossFit and then I got into the zone diet and I started like, you know, tracking my blocks of food that I was eating and becoming aware of like, you know, what kind of foods fuel my workouts and what don't and, was like started the food blog and then I took a sustainability course and I learned about like food sustainability and like all that, like, you know, the meat industry. And I slowly became a vegetarian mm-hmm. through the whole course of that. Like I was doing meatless Mondays and then I was just doing meat once a week. And then before I knew it, I was maybe only eating meat whenever I ate out. Yeah. And when I moved to Germany, I was like, I like I heard somebody told me that the meat quality in Germany is really bad. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not buying meat in Germany, the land of like pork and potatoes. <laughs> and I became a vegetarian. So like when I moved here, actually, I was like, I was basically vegan by default. So I'm lactose yep. intolerant. Me too. I've been lactose intolerant since I was a when since I was born, really. And so when you don't have any dairy and you're a vegetarian, you're essentially a vegan. Yep. Right. Except I ate eggs. Um, but yeah, I did that for a couple of years and I, you know, everything was fine. Like my skin was clear and I felt good for the most part. But after a couple of years, something just felt off. 
like, and I got all like fully into like hundred percent deep dive and dope deep dove into like vegetarian lifestyle and vegan lifestyle. And I was reading like diet for new America and the China study. And I was like, Oh, meat's horrible for you. And da, 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 And I was like one of those people, I was one of those annoying people that's like, Oh, she, <laughs> she does CrossFit. You know, she does CrossFit. She's a vegetarian. She's a vegan. You should know she's a vegan. Um, <laughs> Sorry to everybody I ever talked to about nutrition. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and I basically was like full into this thing, but I was like, you know what? My energy levels weren't that great. Like I, you know, had the worst cramps ever. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, my mood was kind of like not the best. I wasn't sleeping through the night. And I was wondering like, hmm, is like, does it have to do with my diet? And I, was my CrossFit gym was doing a paleo challenge. Yeah. And of course that's like all CrossFit gyms. They're like, welcome to the paleo. Yes. I was like, what's paleo? So I said, okay, I'll try this 30 month, 30 day paleo challenge. And I'll just reintroduce fish into my diet and see how I feel. Oh. And the other thing I noticed is like my muscle tone was like non-existent. Like I've always had like muscle. Yeah. And I was doing CrossFit again. I went from being a triathlete back to CrossFit. And I was like, I should be, I should be firmer in my bicep. And I'm not. And it wasn't until I started like reintroducing the protein after doing the paleo challenge. Like mm-hmm. I started feeling really good. And after the 30 days, I ended up eating bacon at the uh, 30, the end of the whole life challenge or whatever we did. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, where has this been for the last <laughs> three years of my life. And that just basically was like, okay, meat. And I think like shortly thereafter, I went to Indonesia for a work trip and I was like, I'll have the chicken. Like I'm in, in Asia and I'm like, give me the meat. Yeah. And literally within a month of reintroducing meat back into my diet, I felt my body just like the, my muscles just like swell back up and like, yeah, like I was like, Hoom, there we go. This is the Courtney that I know yeah. with all the muscles and like with the protein back in my diet, meat back in my diet, I still was very aware of where I bought it from. Mm-hmm. Like making sure it was still from a good source. I pay extra money for organic quality. Yeah. Like I'm not going to skimp on that stuff. Um, all those values that I got from my many years of reading up and learning about sustainability and organic and all that good stuff. Um, so then I was full on paleo for three years. And of course, like just, you know, grains are horrible and legumes are horrible and you shouldn't eat a peanut because that's not a nut, it's a legume and, you know, that's not paleo. And which is like, you're just all in when you think about it. <laughs> I was all in, but I love peanut butter too much, but, um, I couldn't, I couldn't give it up forever. And then finally I, I realized like I, I decided to do, um, uh, nutrition coaching mm-hmm. with working against, uh, gravity wag. And like kind of like counting your macros and checking like, you know, macronutrients. And I reintroduced carbs back into my diet. Yeah. Like more starchy carbs, like rice, quinoa, mm-hmm. um, buckwheat. Like I still am gluten-free. Yeah. I actually found out the one, the one thing by c- cutting gluten out of my diet, I used to have the worst cramps every month, debilitating, would have to take ibuprofen, like 600 milligrams every four hours wow. on the dot for like three days. And one day it occurred to me that I didn't have to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, interesting. And it wasn't until after my dad passed away at his funeral 
I was like, fuck it, I'm eating the cookies and yeah. the, the cake and the bread and everything. You're allowed later, to when you're I in that moment. Worst cramps. Yeah, I thought so too. And the cramps came back super bad. And I was like, okay, so maybe it is, it is the gluten. Mm -hmm. Like that's definitely something my body can't handle. So I cut that out. Like, so I pretty much don't eat any gluten unless there's some crazy circumstance. Like I'm in like France and there's a donut and I really have to eat it like a beignet yeah. or a croissant yeah, or like something where it's like worth it. And I have yes. a little bit of it yeah. and I can, I can tolerate soy sauce and a little bit of gluten, but I basically avoid gluten. And now I eat just a whole foods diet, minimally processed mm -hmm. meat, grains. I love to cook. Yeah. I still eat chocolate. I bake. Well, and you know. I, I think one of the biggest things, because there's so many different diet streams and, you mm -hmm. know, people telling you like, cut this out, cut that out. But the one thing that they all have in common is cutting out the junk. And yeah. like no one, like even the people who are like the super fit vegans are still the ones who aren't eating processed stuff. They're not the, what's the joke they're called? Like the fat vegan where they're like eating all the oh, yeah. stuff that's like chemically made. Oreos are vegan. Right. You're like, <laughs> oh God, what's in this? Um so it's it, everything, everyone keeps coming back to eat what's real and that's it. And then it's, it is a personal journey. Like you do have to test things out because everybody is different. Like you yeah. literally don't know how the universe of you functions best. And it's frustrating because you just want someone to tell you so that you can feel awesome and look awesome. But that's not how awesome works. You don't get there the easy way for anything no usually not no so but that's that's part of the thing like people people always ask me they're like well what do i need to do like what should i eat it's like it depends right like what how, how does your body handle stuff i'm like can you handle dairy then you can eat the cheese and the yogurt and all the things like i wish i i miss greek yogurt like mm -hmm. if i i no matter how many times i can get like the different varieties of non-dairy coconut milk yogurt they have a cashew milk yogurt now they have yeah. almond milk yogurt yeah germany is getting very progressive these days awesome or like, at least you can find these things but at least bavaria at least bavaria is becoming progressive yeah well i'm sure berlin's been progressive or you can go up north and there's more yeah more variety but it's slowly coming mm -hmm. but you know like if I could have like regular full fat Greek yogurt, oh, I would eat it. Yeah. And I can eat it, but then my face will break out. Mm hmm. And that's just not worth it. No. Nope. And now you've started Courtney's Kitchen. Is that, mm -hmm. that's your Instagram, correct? That's, yes. And that's one of my Instagrams that I have too. Yes. And they'll all be available in the show notes um, and also in the outro. But um, you've started doing your own granola, correct? Mm -hmm. And how did you start doing that? And what is that all about? So granola has always been one of those things that I've made when I lived in Portland. Like when I lived, when I first moved to Germany, I would always make it and have a jar of it. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I stopped making it because I would eat it all the time. Like 
I'd be like, I'll just have a little bit of granola. Like, I'm hungry. I'll have a little bit more granola. Like, hmm. And so one day my boyfriend was like, he's like, I need to put on weight and I want something that I can eat with breakfast. And he was trying to look for something to eat. And I was like, aha, I have an idea. I'll make you my granola. And so I made sure I mixed it up real good. I made sure I had like healthy fats. So it had olive oil and coconut oil and, you know, no refined sugars. He doesn't really care about that, but I do. So I (laughs) try to make it healthy. I added like pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds. I'm like, okay, what's going to add a lot of protein? Mm -hmm. Uh, He needs carbohydrates. So we need to make sure it's sweet enough. It's got oats. And of course, I use gluten-free oats because... And it's you my can kitchen, it. so yeah. I want to be able to eat it too. <laughs> and I made it for him. And he was like, this is really good. He's like, you should sell this. And I was like, ha, 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 okay. And he's like, no, seriously, you should sell it. So like a, like a good German, he's like, well, okay, well, what do your ingredients cost? And he's just like <laughs> <laughs> listing out yep. like all the ingredients. Like, what did you put in this? And like he did like a, an Excel sheet. Yep. And we did the count. He's like, okay, what's a batch? How much does it goes away? And like, we put in the ingredients and how much you buy everything from. And he's like, okay, well, you could probably make a, he's like, you can get your prices down. You can make a decent margin off of this. And I was like, okay, so I should sell granola. And so I started making it and kind of like seeing if I had, if my friends would buy it. Yeah. And they did. And they started buying it and they're like, yeah, this is really good. They're like, this is really good. Like I, I sold one to my old boss. He's like, he's like that was amazing amazing i gave it to my neighbors for christmas and my one neighbor was like my daughter's asking for more when are you gonna make more (laughs) so and i I gave it to my american friends i was like okay like this is like the germans they they just don't know Mm. any better like so i gave it to my american friends and i'm like this is actually really good and i was like okay well maybe i maybe i start my own business and see how that goes so i Decided to go all in. I, I finally, like, so in Germany, you need to have um, permission to be self-employed. Mm-hmm. You can't just start shit. And I've been here long enough that I can be self-employed, but I had to have it in my, so you have, you get a little green card, at least when I moved to Germany. You probably had one when you moved to Germany. They yeah. changed it since then. Mm-hmm. You get your suits flat, which is like a little green piece of paper that says what you do. And on there, it said kind self type, which means no self-employment. Yeah. And even though I'm technically allowed to be self-employed, because this little green paper said I couldn't be, I couldn't be self-employed. Mm-hmm. So I asked the people when I was renewing my Niederlassung allowedness or my, um, my green card, my EC card, I was like, what can, or my blue card, what can I do to be, to get rid of the self type? They're like, well, you can apply for your residency permit. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So I filled out the paperwork and then like sent some things in, had to wait a couple months. Like they sent me an email being like, or send me a letter. You forgot something, which was like three months ago. And I'm like, great. Thanks for not emailing me right back. Cause it's Germany. So you send like an email and then like, they're like, Oh, you forgot to add your attachments. Yeah. Like three months later. And then I had to send more things in and then, wait another couple of months to get like an answer that they want more papers or more proof that I paid into the um, pension funds or my social security before Germany, et cetera. Yeah. And then I moved to FERT. So I've been in FERT for the last year 
outside Nuremberg. Mm-hmm. And so moving to Furt, you have to do the whole process over again. So I was like, Oh man. I, yeah. And they're like, you need to have your Eins Sprachprüfung. Oh, I like I have to take a German test. Yeah. So Nuremberg, they're like, I, they're like, no, you can speak German. You don't need it. But in Furt, they're like, no, yeah, you can speak German, but you still need it. So I had to wait for the next test location in Nuremberg. Then I had to wait the six weeks for them to grade the test mm-hmm. to get the results. Then once I got that, I had to send that in and then wait three, four months to get the approval for the need lasting alumnus. So finally, after like a year and a half, I had my residency card that I can be self-employed. And in October, I went and got myself a business consultant mm-hmm. to help with, you know, all the, the how do you do business registration and all that yeah. things within in Germany, which is very complicated. And he's like, oh, yeah, you could start producing granola in like a month. No problem. So I got everything all set up. I'm like, I'm gung-ho website and I've got an online shop and I'm yeah. doing all these things. And then it's like, I still need a kitchen. Oh. Yeah. So finding a kitchen to rent is a lot harder in Germany than it is in like the States. Yeah. So I finally found a kitchen, but because of my day job and work travels and things, um, I've been like trying to like find a time to meet in this one, meet up with this one American who's here. She has a restaurant, so she's going to let me use her kitchen. Very cool. And then I, I reached out to another German girl who I know she's got a kitchen that's gluten-free so it's like probably better to be in her kitchen, but right now I'm just like I just need a kitchen. Yeah, because you can see behind me, I have bulk ingredients ordered. Oh yeah, and and for everyone listening, we're doing this recording over Google Hangout, so I can I can see Courtney and see her piles of ingredients and sacks of things that look bigger than you are of food. <laughs> yeah, and and this is the main reason why I can't do anything in my apartment because of your giant furry dog yes and that would probably be not to health code no and actually the the health inspector came to our apartment one day because it was the address for the business Mm -hmm. and my boyfriend opens the door and bentley who's now awake comes and greets him at the door and it's like oh obviously we don't make granola here and sell it to anybody (laughs) that would be horrible no, no, no. Only, only, only the food that we eat is made here. So, you know, obviously, like if I sell anything, it's like to friends who know the yeah. conditions. But in terms of like official business, I'm still waiting. Not up and running because I'm waiting for a kitchen. What do you think your time frame is going to be to launch and have people who are listening available to buy your granola? My, you mean your European listeners? Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, I hope to have start baking next weekend. Okay. So next Sunday I have a kitchen and at least access for day. Maybe I take, um, the Monday off or the following Monday, um, from work just to be able to bake mm-hmm. and to see how much I can bake in the small kitchen. And then I need to still do like nutrition, um, the labels, like the official labels and the official like calculations and send it off to a laboratory. Mm-hmm. Everything just takes a long time. Like when you're used to being an American yeah. where you can kind of get things done like quickly and you're like, all right, let's 
let's do it. Let's go for it. Yeah. And then living in Germany where everything is like, no, 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 we have a process. Mm-hmm. You need to do this. And then you get like 10 different forms. Yeah. You have to fill out those forms all in detail. And you're like, I don't know what this is. So when you look at the struggles you have with your granola business and you look at the struggles of living abroad and you look at the struggles of what it means to be a fitness competitor and have a full-time job and be in a relationship and be a dog mom. Like, how do you do it all? Like, is it, is it not a big deal to you or how do you just make it work? I just make it work somehow. I don't know. Like I, there's some days where, you know, your the regular job, the one that pays the bills, yeah, like just kills you and drains you. And I come home and I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to look at any paperwork. I don't want to. All I have energy to do is cook dinner, which I even barely sometimes have energy for that. Mm-hmm. Take take Bentley for a walk, and and just Netflix and passed out by 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of it comes down to like, you know, Friday nights or weekends where it's like, okay, I'm going to just go for it. Like I luckily I work for a sports company. So when I take a, a lunch break yeah. in midday, I'm able to do my sports at lunchtime. So I take a lunch break and I train we have like an amazing facility. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to get my sports in. And like I had on my Instagram the other day, like, Again, one of those memes, like, this is me when I have to miss my workout for stupid shit. Yeah. I was like, totally missed my workout because I had to be like ready, getting ready for like a presentation we have next week. And I was like, I need to be in the gym. I have a competition in two weeks. Yeah. I need to work out. Or, you know, I, I literally, okay. So the thing is like, when you have a goal, I guess, and when there's something that you really want to do, you make the time and energy to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm never one of those people like, yeah, you can always make an excuse, but if something really matters to you and it's like, if you really want to build your business, you will come home from work, even if you're tired and you'll do a little bit or mm-hmm. do those little things that you need to do to get it done. Yeah. And I just recently went to China and I knew like I had the European master's classic in powerlifting, like the week after I got back from China and we were arranging this trip and I knew the whole time I'm like, we need to be back by this date because I had my competition. Mm-hmm. We need to like the whole thing. I, I told everybody. I think the secret to success is tell everybody everything. Like when I but was really, going to the factory. I, I, I want to just pause on that because I think that's such an important thing that you just said. It's so big because people don't share what they're up to. And when you don't share what you're up to and what matters to you, nobody else in your world can help you achieve it. Even in even in small ways of being accommodating or, you know, connecting you to somebody else or like asking you about it and encouraging you. And I think it's so profound. That's why I'm pausing because there's something about when you tell people like, this is what I'm up to. This is the game I'm playing. The end. It allows them to contribute or just be aware that that's what's happening in your yeah. world. Because I'm guessing that where you're going to take this next is that you were they were able to work with you. Like, if they know something's important to you, like, there's ways to make it all work. But it won't if people don't know that that's what you're creating. Yeah. I was like, I made the German national team. I'm like, I don't know how either because I'm American, but I'm on the German national team for powerlifting. And so when we were getting ready to go to China before we went, I was like, 
before I go, I'm going to need a gym, not the hotel gym. Cause that's shit. Yeah. It's got a Smith machine and that won't work for me. I'm going to need a barbell, a squat rack, a bench and 140 kilos worth of weight plates. Mm-hmm. And I need to make weight. Yeah. So don't be trying to feed me shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm going to need to lose weight in China. So I went there and they all knew that I was going to lift the things and they, they found me a couple of gyms. They're like, here's some gyms. Mm-hmm. And one of them looked like it could be good. Like I looked at some pictures. I had no idea where it was on the map. Nobody can call the gym because nobody was answering the phone. Yeah. I just had like an address and a rough like pin in a gray box. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> in this one section of Dongguan. And I went to the hotel and they're like, Look, we have we have a gym. I'm like, no, your gym is not good for me. Yep. Sorry. So I I took the subway because it was the easiest way to get there. Like it was raining the first night. I walked around. I I went to like what like one of like two giant towers mm-hmm. and I was like, um, excuse me, uh, am I here? Yeah. And they're like pointing this way. And then I go that way and I'm like, mm, where do I go? I ask somebody else and they point in a direction and I go and I come back and finally the security guard just kind of takes pity on me and walks me through this mall and around to this other side of the ball and then into this other building and swipes a security card and just points up <laughs> and <laughs> Like, okay. I'm like, I'm guessing it's on the 11th floor because it says 1117. And I go up and I see the sign that says Iron House. Oh. And yeah. And then I hear like an American podcast or something. Some Americans like on the loudspeaker talking. Mm-hmm. And I walk in. I was like, hi, I came to train. Do you speak English? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And I made it work. Like I was like, I, I'll pay whatever, you mm-hmm. know, like. It doesn't matter. Like, I just need a lift. Yeah. And they're like, what do you do? I'm going to power lifter. And I, they were so surprised to have, like, somebody who knew CrossFit, because there was, like, a CrossFit yeah. strength gym. They had powerlifting there as well. Mm-hmm. Who And a female who could lift that they're like, oh, don't worry about the money. I was oh. like, for real? They're like, yeah. So I they let me train for free. And I was like, I'll be back on Wednesday if that's okay. And they're like, yeah. And so I went back on Wednesday, and some people came, and they're like, oh, you're the, you're the American girl. I heard about you. I came to watch you train. <laughs> I was like, for real? Okay, cool. So I had people taking videos of me and spotting me. And then I came back the next day or the next Friday and yep. more people were there. And like, they like came to watch me, like the, 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 the American girl who's the power lifter. So cool. And through this like crazy experience of like, me being so demanding of like, I have this goal. I want to do it. I ended up making friends in Dongguan, China. Like, oh, do you have you ever had proper Chinese dim sum? We're taking you out for for dim sum brunch on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And he's like, I'm gonna take you. I want to take you to my gym. Come, 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 train with me at my gym. And like, you know, he introduces me to people in his gym, and there's all these girls just standing around, like, oh, like watching me and taking pictures of me. And I was like, yeah, okay. So you I like I. I you went on this trip and just now have this huge fan base because you 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 went and found a gym. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it's a huge fan base, but yeah, I have like a, like a small fan club in Dongguan. I made I made friends in the powerlifting community. That's so cool. You're on their stories on Instagram, and everyone's like, "Who is this?" I am. I am. That's so. Good. I am on stories on Instagram. 
No, it's kind of funny. It's it, but it's it's such a great example of like being demanding. You're up to what you're doing. You're telling everybody you're not going to stop. You're going to make it work no matter what comes in your way. And as a result, you have this amazing story. Like it just keeps things keep opening up as a result. Yeah. And and the same thing with like with work, like with the meetings and things like, okay, sometimes I have to adjust my schedule because if we have like a presentation to senior management that goes over my lunch break, I'm not going to be like, sorry, Eric, I'm going to the gym. Even though I know he appreciates me being in the gym because the last time he saw me there, he was like, I really like the passion that you bring because not that many people are doing what you do. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, not too many girls are lifting 125 kilos for reps. This is true. Yes. You are special. Ah, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, you just got to, like, and that's the thing. That's the point. Like, no matter whether it's with sports or with your career or with nutrition, like, if there's something that you really want to do, mm-hmm. then you, you have to just go for it. Yeah. And you have to let other people know what is your, what, what's also in your plans. Because if you're, like, saying, like, from a nutrition standpoint, like, Mm-hmm. I'm a weight class athlete. Normally I'm sitting between 57 and 58 kilos, but in order for me to compete, I need to be under 57 kilos. What is that? I cannot in be pounds? 57. 127, 128, I think, 125. I don't know. So you, you go from 127 to what roughly? Like let me let me let me do a little. So 57 kilos is 125 pounds. And I'm usually between 125, 128. Yeah. And in order to compete, I need to be under 125. So it's always better for me to be sitting closer to 123. Because if you're like one gram, like if you're, if I was 157.1 on the morning of the weigh-in, I would have to be like, I'm going to go pee and come right back. Right. Like, like you, you can't compete. Because mm-hmm. it puts you in a heavier weight class. So it was really important for me, especially when traveling, knowing that, okay, I'm not going to have control over the food I'm going to get fed. Like, okay, yeah. I have control over what I eat at the hotel, but right. I don't have control over what's available at the hotel. I don't have a control over what where they take me to dinner. Yeah, Like, they're going to want to make me try things. Yes. Like, they, they try to make me drink. They're like, oh, shots. And I was like, no. Yeah. I'm an athlete. I have a competition. I'm not drinking. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, next time. I'm like, probably not, but you can try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause there, um, there's a big hosting culture for all of the factories and vendors that we work with in other countries and everyone's so nice and lovely and they really want us to experience their culture and to have fun and mm-hmm. to want to come back. And it comes from such a good place. Um, that it is hard to like tell them no or be like, I don't like when you don't eat meat and you go to Asia, they're like, what? Here's yeah. rice and here's beer. And you're like, what? But okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it is hard and it's, it's, um, it comes back to the discipline that you have of always standing for what you're up to and not, not, um, making the impact of what that could be on others mean anything because there isn't one that them having to adjust is not a big deal versus the sacrifices that you're already making. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So that's, and that's just one of those things where I was like, okay, like, and being like a nutrition coach on the side of my many things, like, and having tracked my macros and being aware of food and quantities and amounts, like I could kind of eyeball things. And I knew, okay, if I just ate until I was, you know, 80% full mm-hmm. and I guess being in a hotel is better than me being home. Cause I don't have granola extract snack on every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's addictive. I still can't stay away. I'm like baking, and I still have to weigh in in two weeks for another competition. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you you have those things where you're like, okay, I I have the tools to kind of know about what I can do, mm-hmm. even though I know I don't have control over everything. Yep. So, how did your first competition go? Um, well, this was my first international competition. Okay. And it was for the European Masters Classic. So last year during the German National Championships, I guess I did well enough that I got an invitation letter from the head coach for the German team because you have to have be like, I guess, one of the top three athletes in the weight class. Mm -hmm. And I just turned 40 in January. So that puts me in the Masters category of athletes. Oh, which is nice because it's normally I'm competing in active class, which yeah. is with girls who are born in 1993 and 1994. And you're like, yeah. so I started lifting when I was 38. <laughs> I started lifting when I was 28, but it's a big difference when you start when you're a teenager versus when you are an adult. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a really cool experience. Cause I think like I, the thing about powerlifting is you you are as strong as you could be on that day yeah so there's it's not like you can push a little bit harder and you can win like you kind of know you're you're going in at Mm -hmm. and I was competing against seven women in the 57 kilo weight class and I was on the bottom of those seven women I was like great and like which wouldn't be that big of a deal if we all had like similar you know, totals, if they're all like roughly around the same area, then you could be like, okay, maybe mm-hmm. strategically I could do a little bit better. But I think the top girl listed, she had a total of like 375 and I'm going in with a total of 295. Yeah. So that's, that's a bit of a difference. You're like, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. you know, you can only lift so much. You're not going to miraculously do like 20 kilos extra on a squat. Right. And again, for your, for your listeners, 20 kilos is 44 pounds. Yeah. You can't, it's, it's, and that's on top of already lifting a ton of weight. So to, it's one thing to add on five pounds and try, but then to have to add on 40 additional pounds on top of, you know, a hundred and whenever you're already lifting, you're like, um, yeah, no, if I, if I pulled that off, I would definitely have to pee in a cup. They'd be like, hi, (laughs) small little girl, you come with us. Yeah. Here's, here's this. Yeah. We're going to watch you pee now. Oh my god. Remember goodness. that thing you signed? Yeah. Yeah. So the the raw powerlifting is there's two different classes in powerlifting. There's geared where you see like with like all the straps and yeah. like the special suits and like when they bench they've got like a special shirt on. Yep. And this allows people to kind of get into the lift so it's hard for you to move like yep. like a normal person. Yep. And makes so you, you more rigid. On. Makes it more rigid. So like you have the knee straps yeah, and you can't bend your knees. But when you have like a weight on your back, it's like, oh, now you can bend your knees and it's easier for you to stand up. 
Um, I don't do that. I do the raw powerlifting where it's just like yep. you you do what you have based mm-hmm. on what you have. And, you know, I've, I haven't been doing this for longer than a year and I'm, I'm doing my squats and everybody's like, well, where are your knee sleeves? You should have knee sleeves. I'm like, I don't know. I never thought to lift with them. They're like, you could be adding 10 kilos to your squat. I'm like, okay, I, I start that next week. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you you go in and you just, they slot you based off of where your opening lifts are and you go in a certain order and you just do the best you can. And mm-hmm. you hope the thing I like about powerlifting is that everybody that I've met through my competitions have all been really nice. Mm-hmm. Like all the girls are in like the same kind of um, same, either like similar level or like same kind of mindset. And they're all really friendly and they're like, Oh, that was so crazy. And how did your lift go? That's really great. I'm so happy for you. Or, yeah, you know, and they're like, Oh, I racked it too soon. I'm like, Oh, I did that my last competition. They're like, it's so shit. I'm like, I know. <laughs> So like, it's, it's a different kind of community and a different camaraderie than mm-hmm. anything that I've ever experienced. Yeah. But it was also really cool for me. Cause I was like, wow, I'm like the same height as everybody. Like it for was the first like, time. like a, for the first time, it's like a room full of like little more or less kind of stocky build girls and women. And I'm like, this is kind of cool. Yeah. And like, and they're all like fucking strong. And I would be like, how the hell do you bench like 75 kilos? Yeah. Like, holy crap. Like, cause they're just like super strong. And I'm like, I, like, I was happy. I got my 60 kilo bench and I got a, I got a PR on my bench. I've been trying awesome. to get that for the longest time. I, I, w- I would like to say that I thought about my mom watching me cause she actually was up at like two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. watching the live stream. She's like, okay, I'm going to watch you now. From, from Pennsylvania, my, she's watching from you. From Pennsylvania. Yeah. I'm in Hungary and she's in Pennsylvania watching me in the middle of the night. And I'm like, do it for mom. Do it for mom. Uh-huh. I go in and I just like lock it out. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I'm proud of you, baby. <laughs> so cute. And my mom, like she, she's super proud of like what I would have achieved. And she's yeah. like super supportive. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she hates the fact that I lift things and that I have muscles. Yeah. Like she's always like. Like if you, if you can see my Instagram feed and like I'm doing something, you'll see like every now and then like a comment that's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm laughing because it's so funny, but like, how does that, how does that really impact you when she's equally your biggest supporter and the one being like, "Mm -mm." well, she's always had like a, like an old school view of what little girls should do and look like. Like I grew up in a neighborhood full of boys. So it would always be like, Courtney, little girls don't play manhunt with little boys. Mm-hmm. Little girls don't play football with the little boys. And yeah. I was always like outside with all the boys playing football or I'd want to go play manhunt. Yeah. Both super I fun. I would wrestle mm-hmm. and do all these things. I remember once I was at a swim meet and one of the kids in my, from my team was standing behind me. He was like this tall, lanky kid. And I was like, I think my biceps are bigger than yours. (laughs) Yeah, great, great conversation starter. I really knew how to talk to the guys. And I was like flexing my arms. And I was like, yeah, I think my biceps bigger. And he's like flexing his arms and we're comparing biceps. Uh And my mom is up in the stadium in the stands watching this whole thing go down. And she's like, Courtney, (laughs) Courtney, no, put them away, put them away. And she's like trying to get me to stop flexing my arms. And she's Uh just like, uh-uh. And in the car, she's like, little girls, like, she's like, 
boys don't like girls with muscles. Aww. They're not going to go with their clothes. What are you going to, you know, you're not going to be able to wear dresses. And I was just like, whatever. Well, well so, but, <laughs> but how, so obviously you took everything she said and threw it out the window. A little bit, yeah. But like, so how, but did that impact like you when you were dating and were you worried about that as you were getting older? I never really worried about it because I always, I guess I was just kind of ended up dating guys who liked athletic girls or yeah. meeting guys in like that similar circle. Right. Like my boyfriend loves the fact that I have an athletic figure and he's yeah. like, yeah, we're going to make your ass bigger. <laughs> we're going to put some <laughs> meat on those thighs. And I was like, um, I don't know. He's like, I think you should lift at the 63 kilo weight class. We can easily put on like five more kilos. And I'm like, that's like 10 pounds. Am I sp-? I'm like, no. Yeah. He's making you into robo Courtney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, like, I think it's just, she grew up in a different generation where if you had your period, you didn't play sports that week. Yeah. Right. And like girls didn't really do, like she played field hockey, but she was not competitive in field hockey. Like I was competitive in field hockey. Well, and it started and, off as a very different sport generations ago yes. too. I mean, only recently did some teams stop wearing skirts to play field hockey? Personally, I loved wearing the skirt because it actually gave me more range of movement than like if I had to wear like the basketball shorts that were just like, how am I supposed to move in these sometimes? So I liked being tough and wearing a skirt at the same time. Um, I did too. But it's almost even like women's tennis used to be like dainty tennis. Mm. Um, but it's, I'm glad it's, you know, it's not that way anymore. No. Yeah. I imagine that we might have swam against each other, actually, both because I was in Pennsylvania when I was swimming. Okay. So, which school did you go to? Uh, We were in Bucks County. Okay. I was. uh, We lived in Marsville, and so because of how some of the sports were, we did some with like Yardley and Pensbury area there as well. Okay. But we did a lot of traveling because our swim team was a club team, so we went all over the bottom right corner of Pennsylvania for swimming. <laughs> the bottom yeah. right corner. Mm-hmm. That's where I, that's where I'm from. Yeah. No, cause I did it. We were in interact, um, league. I went mm-hmm. to prep school, mm-hmm. so it's possible, but mm-hmm. I mainly, I, I mainly did, I was diving cause it was the closest thing to gymnastics. They're like, you can do like flips, but you just land in the water. I was like, all right, I'll do it. Just like gymnastics. Yeah. I really wanted to be a gymnast. Well, you do have the stature for, for being a gymnast, right? This is true. So we ask everyone on the show, where do you rank yourself as a powerful lady? Zero being average everyday human and 10 being super powerful lady. Where do you feel today and where do you feel on average? I'd say probably today and on average, I'm probably around like an 8.5. I like it. Powerful lady. Mm-hmm. And when you aren't feeling powerful and you don't feel like when you're in a valley, what do you do to get yourself out of it and back on track? Um, first, I'll cuddle with my dog and just be sad mm-hmm. and be like, oh, I need cuddles. And then he licks my face and makes <laughs> feel better. Or I'll try to just like meditate and get into like a better headspace and try to like, you know, get my crystals out and get those negative emotions out and just Mm -hmm. like focus on like, okay, why, like, why am I in like this 
headspace or why am I self-doubting or why am I having like a bad day? Yeah. Or, you know, I go for a walk and if I'm having like a angry bad day, then I throw on some music. Like usually it's like Dolly Parton or Britney Spears and then I lift some heavy weights. <laughs> I'm I loving like, yeah. the visual of you lifting to Jolene angry at the same time. <laughs> like that to me is so entertaining. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. I really, uh, having Dolly Parton on this show is one of my my goals. That would be awesome. Right? Who doesn't love She's it? awesome. Mm-hmm. So um, we also ask our guests to share what they recommend in regards to books or podcasts or courses that you go to for inspiration and that you recommend for other people to, you know, learn something new and be motivated. Oh, wow. Okay. I have to think. Um I'm I'm constantly listening to podcasts. Like I I love Mind Pump uh, radio. Mm-hmm. Like just in terms of general fitness, like they're they're a little bit grittier in terms of their language and whatnot, but they're really informative on their messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently just signed myself up for Marie Forleo's B School. Oh yeah, I love so her. Big fan. Mm-hmm. I've been kind of listening to her like her Marie TV on and off Yep. for like a little while now. And while I was in China, I watched one of her videos and I was like, you know what? I could probably use some um, business schooling for my granola business and yeah. nutrition business. And like, so I've been following her kind of course to see where that can take me. Mm-hmm. And that's been like a really good resource. Um, I'm trying to think like there's so much that I've listened to and I'm like, looking at them like, mm, I don't know. we can add things also. Like you can email me when you're okay. like, people need this. Right. I, I, I get the skim daily in terms of news. I get helps in terms of yeah. uh, keeping up to date. Although to be honest, I do listen. I, I do my morning uh, watching of the daily show or Seth Meyers and Stephen Colbert for the real news of what's happening in America. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I, and then I just am thankful for Seth Meyers. Yeah. As living abroad is always a little bit tricky because you don't get all the, the same information yep. that you would normally get, like the deep dive. So like I actually I, I get the skim, which mm-hmm. I think I, I got from you sending out something. Uh, Possibly. So I've been following them. I, yeah. I like them. I think uh, they're yeah. good. I like I like what they literally do of skim the news, give you the breakdown. And then you have all the links to decide if you want to go further down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one book actually made a big difference or a big impact on me was um, Gabriel Bernstein's The Universe Has Your Back. Yes. Yep. It was funny because I it was just about the time when I was doing my Paul Check Holistic Life Coach course. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, love Paul Check. I love him too. I did his course in London two years ago. And I, w- I kept on getting these things like every, like it would just pop up like Gabriel Bernstein, the universe has your back. Gabriel mm-hmm. Bernstein, the universe has your back. I'd be in a bookstore and like, there it was. And like, it was just following me around. And then finally yeah. I was like, I'll just get the book. Yeah. Maybe the universe is trying to tell me something. <laughs> and like, I listened to it and I was like, ah, oh, the universe is trying to tell me something. So like kind of after doing the holistic, uh, the holistic life coaching course and the teacher who did it was really big on the law of attraction mm-hmm. and um, 
Abraham and the, the preachings around that. Like I kind of got into that rabbit hole. Then I got into Gabriel Bernstein. And- yeah. I love that Gabby Bernstein and Marie Forleo are buddies. Yeah. Because I, I, I just love when like women who are up to helping other people just keep coming together, which is why I like getting to talk to all of you guys. Because even though we're approaching things in sometimes different ways, we're all committed to everyone living a life that they're excited about. And mm. like, you know, how, how can I help? Like, you know, whether it's like with you focusing on like giving people opportunities to train and to um, have healthy nutrition and to see an example of like what it can look like, like different people are looking for different things. So like, how do we bring all of it up? Like, no more excuses of like, I don't know how to start because we are going to provide you a way of how to start. Um, so for women who are looking to um, get into a stricter fitness routine, to look into powerlifting, to look into CrossFit, how should they start? There's there's just start. Like there's different um, channels. Like if they really want to get into CrossFit, there's CrossFit.com. There's different podcasts, um, Barbell Shrugged and you know, even like Girls Gone Wad, if you want to follow like more of like a female aspect to it, like mm-hmm. in terms of powerlifting, just try to find a gym and like same with CrossFit, like, or anything really just try to find a gym and a community in your area mm-hmm. where you can go and feel comfortable and, you know, welcome. Cause I think the thing is like, there's like hundreds of CrossFit boxes, right? Yeah. And with CrossFit, the main thing is community and that you go in, that you feel welcome, that people are friendly to you. And you, you, most people always tell me they're like, Oh, I need to get in shape before I can do CrossFit or I need to get in shape before I can do your class or I need to get in shape. And it's like, no, you need to just go yeah, and do the things and then you'll get in shape. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't you worry about what other people are doing. Don't you worry that, you know, they're doing all these crazy heavy weights. Like, don't yeah. you worry that, like if I went into the competition and was like, oh my God, this girl is squatting 150 kilos. I'm never going to be able to squat 150 kilos. I'm not going to compete. Yeah. You know, that's one way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Or I could say, oh my God, these girls are squatting 150 kilos. I'm going to try to hit 112.5 yeah. and get a new personal best for me. Yeah. And then I'm going to ask the girl, so what do you do? And, mm-hmm. you know, so knee sleeps, huh? Yeah. I hear they're just <laughs> <laughs> well, and CrossFit gyms are are known for like everyone being on a different level. You're, you're doing the same workout, but everyone's hitting a different level of weights or reps or something because everyone's expected to be at a different place. Yes. Right. So it really, you really can just walk in off the street and start. Everything is scalable. And that was always one of the things about CrossFit where when it began, it was – something for everybody. It was to get the general mm-hmm. population into a healthier, better place. Yeah. Now, if you look at the CrossFit games, that's a completely different beast. Yeah. And like, that's like the best of the best. And people who don't have day jobs that all they do is train all day, right? Like five hours a day, or you think about, okay, you know, this athlete, like sometimes I have to remind myself, I'm like, okay, I'm competing against somebody who's 25 years old mm-hmm. who started lifting when she was 15 and has a different muscle strength yeah. that comes with starting so young, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, I can do the best that I can at my level. And it's the same thing with CrossFit. Like you go in, it's, you know, you, you don't need to be the next Brooke Entz 
or Camille LeBlanc Bazinet, like you just do the best you can and you yeah. don't hurt yourself and you move and you be happy. When it comes to sports, like people think, okay, well, I don't like, I don't like that thing or I don't like lifting weights. It's like, okay, well, you don't have to lift weights. Mm-hmm. I love lifting weights. For me, yeah. like, I'm stronger than I've ever been in my entire life. I'm the fittest I've ever been in my entire life. I'm the leanest I've ever been in my entire life. And like, you're 40. And I'm 40. Yeah. You know, but the, the, the key is I do what I love to do. Mm-hmm. Like if, if for you, fitness is dancing naked in your bedroom to Beyonce for like an hour, then go for it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Blinds open or close, like whatever makes you happy. If you want to do Zumba, do Zumba. If you want to do soul cycle, do soul cycle. If you want to jump on a trampoline for 45 minutes, do that. Like, mm-hmm walk your dog or just yeah. go for a hike or, you know, I think as long as you have, and like by doing those things, you can build yourself a community and you find other people who like to do those things too. And then you become more aware of what's in that circle of mm-hmm. whatever it is. Like, you know, I would never know half the things like I, I started getting into powerlifting and then you start following different powerlifters on Instagram. Yeah. And then you're listening to all these things that you might not have listened to. Now I listen to like juggernaut podcasts and, you know, it's like, okay, what's Max Ada's tip for a stronger bench or what does Marissa do to, you know, get like a perfect arch position. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, well, that's like, that's also why I love the rich roll podcast because he brings in people that are athletes and um, nutritionists and food people. And you really get the whole 360 like mind body soul experience and you get to hear Mm. these crazy stories like this of people who have like gone through these crazy fitness journeys or food journeys um there's just a different perspective but i think the point of you are making of it doesn't matter what gets you excited it's it's still really important to find something that gets you excited that involves moving your body and sweating and like expressing yourself in that way and finding a community through it um I know personally like that when I am not taking care of my body physically or what I'm putting into it, like I can't be successful at the rest of my life in the way that I want to be. And, you know, especially with this launch, if working till 2 a.m., starting at 7, you know, in the beginning I was good about like waking up and like at least going for a walk or a run and coming back and doing like little reps at home. And then that went out the window like the last two weeks because it was like, go, 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 go. And I'm exhausted. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I have to just keep reminding myself that like, no, like the energy comes from working out, like make time for it because it's going to give you more back. And so it's been great this week to get back into it and to just have my head space so much better than Mm -hmm. it was. So I'm really excited to um, get back into everything that I love doing because you get so much more out of it than you think you're going to. And it has nothing to do about like why you love it. Isn't about how it makes you look. That's just a bonus part of it. It's so my opinion. I mean, you can, True. It, it, you know, it's bigger than um, just going for that. Well, I think when you just go for like the beach body, mm-hmm. like, Oh, I want to, I want to do something that's to look good in a bikini. Like that motivation is only going to take you so far. Yeah. Like, and when you have something further than that or like a goal, like 
I want to get stronger or I want to be able to do like that's what like yep. you know competition is a great mm-hmm. thing because then you're like okay I have something to actually strive for yeah and your priority shifts it's like okay I don't think about okay I'm going to get a bikini body it's a side effect of being in 57 kilo weight class and lifting yeah a lot of things but I go okay like how do I get stronger Mm-hmm. Like, what am I, what am I going to do next? That's going to like help build my lats more. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you start to embrace the shape that you have. It's like, okay, how do I get my bench up? Like, what can I do to get stronger? Like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And I've got, I told my boyfriend after season's over, um, I'm going to have to start doing training just to be able to walk my dog because he's a 52 kilo puppy <laughs> at <laughs> 10 months old. And I'm going to need to do 70 kilo, like single arm sled pulls. Mm-hmm. Just so that way, when he tries to jump up and tries to pull me, I can say no, yeah, and yank him back. So it's like functional training too, and fun. But it's a goal. Yes. Well, it is time to wrap up. Unfortunately, we blew through two hours. Um, but oh, wow. what are your last pieces of advice or motivation for everyone listening? My last piece of motivation advice, you know, go after what it is that you want to do like if you have the passion behind it Mm -hmm. and you believe that you can do it then don't let anybody stop you yep great advice well thank you so much for being a powerful lady thank you for being on the podcast you are always an inspiration to me and i can't wait to see you you. in real life again and give you a hug and eat some granola (laughs) i I, well that's another reason why i train so i can give big hugs yeah (laughs) but (laughs) Perfect. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me on the podcast and thinking of me. And I'm, I'm proud of you and all the things that you've created. And I can't wait to see what else you come up with next. Thank you. I am so happy to call Courtney a friend. She's fun and always a yes to taking on life and just meeting up and seeing what's possible. And as you've heard on this episode, she's a total inspiration. As a fellow high performer, I'm amazed at how she does it all and continues to find ways to start new companies and new projects. If you're inspired by Courtney and want to connect and support what she's up to, you can first get a 15% discount for holistic life coaching or nutrition coaching. When you reach out to her, use code POWERFULLADIES. And for those of you based in Europe, you can get a 10% discount for the first time purchase of her granola. Again, use code POWERFULLADIES. You can also follow her on Instagram at Courtney's Kitchen underscore D-E or her personal one at C-A-E-V-O-R-S. And don't forget to visit her website, Courtney'sKitchen.de. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing here at Powerful Ladies, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Leave a review on any of these platforms. Share the show with all the powerful ladies and gentlemen in your life. Join our Patreon account. Check out the website, thepowerfulladies.com to hear more inspiring stories, get practical tools to be your most powerful, get 15% off your first order in the Powerful Ladies shop, or donate to the Powerful Ladies One Day of Giving campaign. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. For show notes and to get the links to the books, podcasts, and people we talk about, go to thepowerfulladies.com. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. She's one of the first female audio engineers in the podcasting world, if not the first. And she also happens to be the best. 
but we're very lucky to have her. She's a powerful lady in her own right, in addition to taking over the podcasting world. She's a singer-songwriter working on her next album, and she's one of my sisters. So it's amazing to be creating this with her, and I'm so thankful that she finds time in her crazy busy schedule to make this happen. It's a testament to her belief in what we're creating through Powerful Ladies, and I'm honored that she shares my vision. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love. Hey guys, I'm so excited that you are here today to listen to another episode of the Powerful Ladies podcast. It's because of you guys that we are able to exist and survive and make this great content and have these great conversations. One way that you can really help us out is to go to thepowerfulladies.com and sign up for our newsletter. You will get great information and tips about once a month to know when we're having an awesome sale, when there's a great new course coming out, and just to hear all the cool stuff we're doing. It's the first place to learn about all the events and the things that we're up to. So please subscribe today.